the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's time once again for another look into God's infallible book as we welcome you to another broadcast of The Riches of Grace. This program is the radio voice of Grace School of the Bible and is brought to you by Christian people who believe the Bible to be the Word of God and who appreciate its power and authority. At the heart of our ministry is the desire to help you appreciate and rejoice in the riches of God's grace to us in Christ. That's why we call this program The Riches of Grace. We're happy you've tuned our way today and trust that our time together will prove a real blessing as we continue with the series of studies designed to help you understand and enjoy the Bible. My name is Alex Kurz, and it's my privilege to invite you to join us as Richard Jordan, president of Grace School of the Bible, brings us another message from the Word of God. Thank you, Alex, and we're certainly glad, my friends, to be on the air again today with the wonderful message of God's wonderful grace found in God's wonderful Word. And we're glad you've joined us today, and we count it a real honor and a privilege to have you study with us uh, for the next half hour as we continue our study in this wonderful doctrine of forgiveness. What a wonderful uh, thing it is, what a wonderful truth in God's Word to understand and to see how that God has provided um, forgiveness for our sins, that, that, and He's done it in the riches of His grace. And that God's grace, what he's accomplished for us at Calvary, is rich. There's something extravagant, uh, overly extravagant, about God's provisions for us at Calvary. Paul says, "...in whom we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace." And the measure of his grace, uh, God is rich enough to deal with all of my sins. Uh, this forgiveness is not, it's not a little forgiveness. And he doesn't give it to us on the installment plan, giving a little bit at a time, a little bit here, and a little bit there. Rather, he gives it to us completely and totally and freely. God's grace is all that he's free to do for us through the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ at Calvary. Grace is often misunderstood. I, I, I realize that, but it shouldn't be. The Bible says that the grace of God which brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us. You see, what God would do at the cross is he would teach us. For at Calvary, God put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Therefore, trusting and relying in the finished work of Christ at Calvary is to trust and rely on the fact that God has put away sin, that the sin issue is forever settled with God, and that no longer is it is it something that uh, that that is to be haunting and uh, dogging our steps. Most of the time, the issue of total forgiveness—that is, that we've been forgiven all of our trespasses in Christ up front, in advance, even—most of the time, that's misunderstood because someone is not grounded in the sound doctrine and a clear understanding of grace. Can I say to you that until you rest completely and confidently in the finality of the cross work of Christ, you'll never experience the reality of the resurrection life of Christ? 
You see, those two things, his, his, his cross work, where he goes to Calvary, bears our sins, and says it's finished. Either he put away sin completely and fully by the sacrifice of himself, or he didn't. Now, if he didn't, then there's something left for you to do. But if he did, there's nothing for you to do, because he's already done all of the work. And if you suggest or come along and say that, well, you know, maybe I need to add something to it, what you're saying is his work isn't finished. And that when he said it's finished, he was mistaken. Now, I know that some people define grace uh, as what God will do for you after you've done the best you could. But you see, that wouldn't be grace. That would be help. But it wouldn't be a free, complete, total gift. It wouldn't be trusting what Christ did alone. See, grace is, is unmerited favor. Grace is something that you need but you don't deserve. Grace is all that God can do for you through the finished work of the cross of Calvary, where Calvary's enough, and Christ put away our sin. And he put away our sin, he gave his life for us at the cross, so that he then could give his life to us, his resurrection life. And the resurrection of Christ, Paul says, where he was delivered for our offenses, he was raised again for our justification. Justification means so that we could be declared to be right and righteous. He was delivered for offenses. He took away all of our sins. He was raised again. You know what that says? It says he put away sin. The wages of sin is death. Had there been one of your sins that wasn't completely and totally and fully paid for, death would have held the Lord Jesus Christ. You see, that his resurrection to life, and that's the only answer to death, his resurrection is like a receipt that says paid in full. No, Christ isn't still on the cross. The work isn't continuing to be done. There isn't something left for you to accomplish. He did it all. He did enough, and he did it for you. And when you rest in the finality of that cross work, then you can begin to experience the reality of his resurrection life. Total forgiveness can only be experienced by faith. Now, if forgiveness isn't followed by the filling with his life, well, if that wasn't the case, you'd use it, of course, uh, as a license to sin. Someone has said it's easier to get, get forgiveness than permission. But that's a misunderstanding of what the gospel is all about. That's not letting grace teach you. That's letting your old thinking, human viewpoint, and religion teach you. Grace teaches you that denying ungodliness and worldly lust, that isn't who I am anymore. We should live soberly, righteously, and godly. This is who I am. That old life is over. The cross ended it. And now I have newness of life in Christ Jesus. You see, the way you get to the life is through the forgiveness. The way you get to the resurrection is the cross. So forgiveness is complete, and it's total, and it's for you. And it's yours as a gift of God's grace. Someone says, it sounds too cheap for me if I don't have to do anything. No, it's not cheap when someone pays for the gift with their own blood. You see, there's no such thing as cheap grace. It's free to you because someone else paid for it. Now, I understand that people object to that. And as, as I said, it's, the objections come basically because 
Uh, there's a lack of real understanding about what the Bible teaches about grace. Religion teach, you know, the term grace is used all over the place. You can you can find all kind of churches named grace, <laughs> and nobody ever says they deny the grace of God. And everybody, even in the in the world, love to sing Amazing Grace, you know, and that kind of thing. But what the Bible teaches about grace, well, sometimes the difference between what the Bible teaches and what you hear in religion. Well, that's just the difference between God's views and man's views. One of the great objections to the issue of total forgiveness is uh, is the idea that we need to keep short accounts with God, it's called. Uh, if we sin, they say, well, then our fellowship with God is broken, and we need to we need to restore our fellowship with God by confessing our sins. An appeal is made to 1 John 1, 9, and that's the great short account verse in the Bible. Now, there is a short account system in the Bible. It's called the Law of Moses. But uh, 1 John 1, 9 has uh, nothing to do with a short account system uh, that, that is usually uh, promoted in order to promote uh, the confessional, whether it's the, the Roman Catholic confessional or the Protestant confessional or the Eastern Church confessional. 1 John 1, 9 is a verse that has nothing to do with anything uh, with regard to Christian fellowship. Now, you said, but Brother Rick, that's a bold statement. Well, let's look at it and let's talk about it. 1 John chapter 1, and, and the idea, if you go down through 1 John chapter 1, let, let's just look there at that passage today and, and see what it says. Uh, you know, it, it, there, there's no real sense in arguing uh, tradition and denominational doctrine and, well, your preacher says this and my preacher says that and my, my professor said that and the other professor said the other, and all the traditions. You get religion around the table, and they, you know, they talk about, well, our tradition says this, and our tradition says that, and, and you have to respect people's traditions. Uh, you, you know, you, that, that's, it's only the kind thing to do. But the issue isn't my tradition or your tradition. The issue is, what, what does God say? Now, if that's where you are today, then let's talk about what God says. People ask me all the time, uh, Brother Rick, what do you think about so-and-so? And my standard answer, anybody will tell you this if that's ever asked me that question, my standard answer is, uh, the Bible's right. Now you want us to talk about what the Bible says, <laughs> and that's that's where we are. That's why this is a Bible study broadcast, a Bible study program. It's a Bible study time, and I understand that that's maybe not exactly the the way everything is usually done, but that's the way we try to do this. And I'm not trying to help you just have a nice, sweet, kind, wonderful little life. I'm trying to proclaim God's word, because God's word is what will work effectually in you that believe. You can't always have a nice, sweet, kind, little, uh, successful, safe life. Have you noticed that? Uh, you know, I wrote a book one time, Why Bad Things Happen to Good People. They do, don't they? They happen to bad people, too, by the way. But uh, you, you can't always just determine those things. But you can determine and choose how you're going to respond to those things that come in life. And you need to learn to respond based on on the truth of God's Word to you in Christ, an intelligent understanding of His Word. So we shouldn't have a problem looking at 1 John chapter 1, verse number 5, for example. This then is the message which we have heard of Him, and declare unto you that God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. Now that ought to be a key to you. God is light, and there is no darkness in God. Now, that's an absolute statement. Okay? If we say, now somebody's going to make a profession, if we say that we have fellowship with Him, with God, and walk in darkness, 
we lie and do not the truth. Now, why do we lie and do not the truth? Because in because God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. So if you're walking in darkness, where are you? You're outside of God. Now, this is a... This is an absolute statement. The contrast between light and darkness is a contrast between being saved and being unsaved, being in God and not in God. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. If we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his Son, cleanses us from all sin. There's a contrast between the true believer and the professor, between the genuine fellowship and the counterfeit fellowship, between some people saying they're saved and they aren't, and some people really genuinely being saved. Notice this issue of walking in darkness. In 1 John chapter 2, verse number 11, we're told, "...he that hateth his brother is in darkness." and walketh in darkness, and knoweth not whether he goeth, because that darkness hath blinded his minds. Notice, here's someone who walks in darkness. If we walk in darkness, we, we uh, don't have fellowship with him, he says. Okay, what does it mean to walk in darkness? Well, in chapter 2 of 1 John, verse 11, if a man hates his brother, for example, he walks in darkness. We'll compare that with chapter 3, verse number 15. 1 John 3, verse 15. We're going to let the book of 1 John define the terms. 1 John three fifteen, Whosoever hateth his brother, well, 2.11 says, if you hate your brother, you're walking in darkness. Further explanation, whosoever hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer has eternal life abiding in him. No murderer, man that hates his brothers or murder, no murderer has eternal life. Man that walks in darkness, man that hates his brother walks in darkness. A man that hates his brother does not have eternal life. You know what it means to walk in darkness? It means to be lost. That's what it means. You see, it means not to have life. In fact, in John, the book of John, chapter number 1, uh, John says, in John chapter number 1, verse uh, 4, in him, talking about in Christ, was life, and the life was the light of men. You see, what is the, what is, what is the, uh, what is the light? It's life. And when you're in darkness, you don't have life. Darkness and light are not a contrast between two classes of saved people. They're a contrast between saved people and and lost people. If our gospel be hid, Paul says, it's hid to them that are lost, and whom the God of this world hath blinded the minds of them that believe not, lest the light of the gospel of Christ should shine in unto them. Paul says about um, the, the Ephesian believers in Ephesians chapter number 5, verse number 8, ye were sometimes darkness, but now are ye light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. You see, the contrast in 1 John is between saved people and lost people. Now, 1 John 1, 9. What he's talking about here is not how a believer can be restored back to fellowship with God. No, no, not, a, not, in, first, not, not in John's mind. What he's talking about is if we confess our sins, 
he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we made him a liar, and his word is not in us. You see, there's somebody, there's somebody who's denying that, they, that they're sinners, and then there's some people that confess that they are. 1 John 1, 9, I mean, think about what it says. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. How many times can you be cleansed from all unrighteousness? Well, that's right, only once, if it's all. That's why in First John 1, 9, understand clearly, is an invitation to a lost man in Israel's program to get saved. It's a salvation invitation in Israel's program to a lost Israeli, how he can become a part of the true Israel of God. And if you want to see it doctrinally work itself out in, in, in the life of the nation Israel, Mark chapter number 1, verse number 4, John, talking about John the Baptist, did baptize in the wilderness and preach the baptism of repentance for the remission of sins. And there went out unto him all the land of Judea and they, and they of Jerusalem, and were all baptized of him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, when they went out there to John and confessed their sins, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins, they were not categorizing and reciting and itemizing all of their individual sins, each sinful act they had, had performed. What they were doing were they were acknowledging by allowing John to baptize them that they had broken the covenant with God and they had sinned. I mean, they weren't even verbalizing their confession. The baptism of repentance for the remission of sins was the confession that they were making. You know that from John chapter I'm, I'm sorry, Luke chapter number 7 verse 29 and 30. And all the people that heard him, talking about John the Baptist, and publicans justified God being baptized of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of him. You see, it was the baptism of John, that baptism of repentance for the remission of sins, was the acknowledgment of their sins. And they they acknowledge the counsel of God against them, and the counsel of God's back in Leviticus 26, when he tells them how to get out from under the chastening hand of God on Israel, confess their failure, and then God would restore them. Well, 1 John chapter 1 is a contrast between the true and the false fellowship, people who genuinely are in fellowship with God and people who just profess to be. Now, Understand that the principle there in 1 John 1, 9 is an invitation to a lost man. What would be the status of someone in 1 John who was saved? Well, look at 1 John chapter number 2, verse number 12. You notice in 1 John 2, verse 1, he says, My little children. Now he's going to start talking to them about, as children, now he's going to not just talk to the general group, saved or lost, now he's going to begin to describe the family. Verse 12, he says, I write unto you, little children. These are people in God's family. I write unto you, little children, because your sins, notice, are 
forgiven you for his name's sake. Notice that their sins are forgiven them. Uh, That's a fundamental, foundational consciousness of a child of God. Without a knowledge that your sins are forgiven, you'd never know for sure that you're in the family. Now somebody says, well, but Brother Rick, if you... If you tell people that all their sins are forgiven the moment they trust Christ, well, that'll just, le- that'll just encourage them to live in sin. And you know what the answer to that is? Nuts. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's the short account system that, uh, that, that, that never teaches you to be free from sin. Rather, you're always making uh, sin uh, and self-consciousness the issue. You're always thinking about your failure and your defeats and your frustrations. Friends, you can't have victory. You'll never have victory over sin by being focused on, 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 on your sin, by being preoccupied with your failure. You need not to define yourself by your failure. You need to define yourself by who God has made you in Christ. Define yourself by your identity in Christ, not by your failure. That's where victory over sin is. And you teach someone what God has done for them, it isn't going to excuse them to go live in sin. You were doing that quite well before you ever met Christ, weren't you? Now, you don't need any instruction about that. What the death of the Lord Jesus Christ does is it deals with our sin. It's what puts away our sin. And we're saved by grace on the basis of the sin payment of Calvary. Now, grace can be abused. It wouldn't be grace if it couldn't. But because it is grace, it shouldn't be abused. See, if grace, by the way, if grace couldn't be abused, you're lost (laughs) because you're going to abuse it. But you see, grace shouldn't be abused. And it won't be abused by believers who have a full knowledge of their forgiveness and of the love of Christ for them and understand who God has made you in Christ so that the life of Christ becomes the issue and what lives in you. Forgiveness is to take away the negative balance, is to take away the guilt, is to take away the failure, is to take away the 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 haunting uh, of your failure, and it's to point you to Calvary and say, He did it. He's the issue. He's your life. When you trust the finality of His cross work to pay for all of your sins, then you can experience the reality of His life, resurrection life, and say with Paul, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, you know, who loved me and gave himself for me. Jesus Christ lived in absolute, complete, total dependence upon the will of God the Father and upon the Word of God. Are you doing that? My friend, have victory today in Christ. Enjoy the riches of his grace to you so that you know, you know for sure, confidently, and forever that you are forgiven. Let me give you, a, and, and you do that simply by resting by faith in that wonderful truth. Let me give you a free Bible study tape. You can be forgiven. Forgiveness is the key issue to emotional stability. There's, there, there are people, you know, honestly, that people get more troubled about the forgiveness issue and the lack of assurance than anything else. You can be forgiven. 
You can know it for sure as you stand confidently in the truth of God's Word, rightly divided. Let me give you this free Bible study tape. You can be forgiven, and you need to have this issue settled in your life today. You simply call us here at 888-535-2300. That number again, toll-free, is 888-535-2300. And you request your tape on, 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 uh, uh, on forgiveness, and we'll be glad to see that you get a copy of this Bible study that'll help you get grounded and get these things settled in your, in your, your understanding. Call us today, 888-535-2300. If you, if you surf the World Wide Web and you'd rather do that, you can find us located at graceimpact.org. Graceimpact, that's one word, dot org. Or you can, of course, write me here at the Riches of Grace, Post Office Box 97, Bloomingdale, Illinois, 60108. That's Box 97, Bloomingdale, Illinois, 60108. We're trying to be easy to locate, trying to be easy to get in touch with. We want to give you some information. We're not trying to get anything from you. We're trying to give you something that'll help you, that'll ground you, that can transform your life for God's glory. We want to give you a free copy of this Bible study. Uh, the easiest way, of course, just call us, 888-535-2300. Uh, you know, I should tell you also that this that this study is, is a part of a larger six-hour study, an album of, uh, of, of tapes called... Uh, forgiveness matters. Uh, it's six hours of study. I can't give you that, but if you'd like to purchase it, it costs $16, uh, sells for $16, and you can ask the folks when you call about it. If you've got a credit card, you can use your credit card to order it, or we can be, be happy to invoice you for it. But at any rate, you call and get the free the free Bible study, 888-535-2300. And you know, I also want you to know that there are folks meeting in your area this weekend who who appreciate the message of grace they love the word of god rightly divided the the grace life is the issue in their in their in their gatherings they put this uh bible study on this station right here just for you each week why don't you let me put you in touch with them where where you can know them and uh, uh I, I guarantee you they'll they'll do you good they'll help you and uh, you'll enjoy the fellowship with, with some folks around the truths that you hear us teaching uh, week after week right here. You call 888-535-2300, and you ask folks that answer the phone about the meetings in your area, and we'll be glad to tell you about how to get in touch with those folks. And friend, listen, if you, if you still aren't sure that all of your sins are forgiven, that you have eternal life as a present possession right now, as a free gift from God that is yours as a present possession, then, then when you call, you tell the folks that answer that, and they'll, they'll be happy to talk with you over an open Bible and send you literature to show you the way. Our, our hope, our joy, our, our goal is to help you to understand what God's Word says so that your faith can rest in an intelligent understanding of God's Word to you so God's Word can work in your life the things that God desires it to work for His glory. You don't have to be confused. You don't have to be uh, constantly uh, on the treadmill of trying to perform and make God happy with you. Just rest in who He's made you in Christ. 888-535-2300. That's the number to call to get the Bible study. You know, we're certainly happy you're with us today. It's always a joy to have you uh, fellowship with us. Till we meet again at the same time next week. Maranatha.
retired general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.